This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. 16th day of January 2023. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as uh, we remember the great civil rights leader. And uh, yesterday was actually his birthday, but it is uh, celebrated on the second Monday uh, of January. So uh, a lot of sports actually this afternoon. The NBA traditionally plays games in the afternoon on uh, MLK Day. Uh, uh, there's some NHL games this afternoon as well. Uh, so a lot of sports this afternoon. And then, of course, tonight the uh, final playoff game uh, of the first round, the Dallas Cowboys visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in a game that's uh, kind of fascinating to see whether uh, Tom Brady can keep things going. We'll talk about that coming up uh, in a few minutes. Crazy weekend uh, of NFL football. Some games that were a lot closer, I think, than a lot of people expected. And uh, congratulations to uh, Dan Zampano, our uh, NFL guy. So far, he's 5-for-5 five five on his picks this weekend. Uh, picked every game correctly. I don't think he predicted them to be quite uh, to go down quite the way that they did. Uh, but uh, Dan was a five for five, and uh, he's got the Bucks tonight. Dallas a two and a half point favorite, so we'll see if he can uh, sweep the weekend. Uh, before we get to the NFL games this weekend, uh, some horrific news um, that uh, came down. Of course, on um, on Friday they had a celebratory parade for the University of Georgia football team. And, uh, you know, to celebrate their second uh, consecutive national college football championship. And, uh, you know, it would, it, all the Atlanta stations down here had it, uh, were covering it live. And I just, you know, it, it was a great day. Well, that quickly turned uh, sour as news came down that that evening, Offensive lineman uh, Devin Willock and a member of the recruiting staff were killed in a car accident. Uh, it was Saturday night into Sunday, and uh, it was actually technically Sunday morning. Uh, Willock, 6'7", like 300 po- 330 pounds. He was a redshirt sophomore from New Jersey. Uh, he died at the scene. The driver of the vehicle um, was a member of the recruiting staff, and uh, she was uh, sent to the hospital, and she died from her wounds uh, or from her injuries at the hospital. It was 24-year-old Chandler LaCroix. Uh, This happened at 2.45 in the morning. There were two other players in the vehicle. 
one of them was uh, injured pretty good. The other one got some bumps and bruises. But uh, uh, here's it, it struck the uh, the vehicle went off the road, and it struck a couple of uh, telephone poles, several trees, uh, before coming to rest. Here's what we know. Uh, at 2.45 in the morning, nothing good ever happens, right? I mean, honest to God, I mean, you, you don't you don't hear about lottery winners or anything else at 2.40. If something happens at 2.45 in the morning, it's never good. Um, don't know. The police have not said whether alcohol was involved or anything. When, when nobody knows. We'll know in the next several days. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's an absolute tragedy uh, that on a weekend when – the University of Georgia football team is being uh, uh, celebrated that they lose one of the members of that team and one of the members of their staff uh, in a horrific accident. And, and at the end of the day, like I said, it doesn't matter whether alcohol was involved or not. You hope it wasn't. But again, 2.45 in the morning, it could have been, or it could have just been at 2.45 in the morning, you need to be asleep, and maybe the driver was tired, and maybe she fell asleep. Who knows? Who knows? But at the end of the day, uh, two young people lost their lives. It's just uh, it's just terrible, terrible. Um, and then uh, on the same day I read that, I read that a member of the Alabama basketball team, the University of Alabama, who right now I believe is ranked second or third in the country, uh, one of their backup guards, Darius Miles, was charged with capital murder. He was arrested on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon and uh, arrested for capital murder. Now, he had already been in, it, the university had already announced that he was going to be out for the rest of the season uh, with a knee injury, of course, or with an ankle injury, I'm sorry. And since that happened, of course, his bio has been removed from the athletic department uh, and the university has said he is uh, no has been removed from campus, no longer on the team. So the team moved very quickly. Uh, to separate themselves from Darius Miles. It sounds like it was just some stupid thing that happened uh, downtown in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There's an area, a shopping area down there they call the Strip. And I guess uh, he and another individual got into some kind of a beef. No previous relationship. Shots were fired into a car. And somebody was killed. And, and, um, the police said that the reason it's called it's considered capital murder is because the uh, shots were fired into a car. Again, you know, it's just and and look, I live in the south. I get it. Everybody's got guns down here. I get it, right? I get it. But man, you know, this is where and, and I've said this to my wife before. I'm not anti-gun. I'm really not. You know, my, I grew up around guns. My father had guns. My father was a uh, an instructor for the National Rifle Association. So I, I'm not anti-gun. Okay, uh, you know, uh, I'm anti, I'm anti, I'm anti-crime, but I'm not anti-gun. I, it's not, you know, I I don't believe that everybody should have their guns taken away. I you know, I don't believe that people need AR-15s or assault-style uh, weapons. But you know, uh, I'm not going to get into that here. Um, I don't think anybody needs an AR-15 or, you know, you know, Bushmaster or whatever to go hunting. I'm sorry. Guess what? People went hunting for years without those. Be a better shot. That's all I'm saying. 
But at the end of the day, and, and I've said this to my wife, I'm glad I don't have a gun. <laughs> you know, like carrying a gun in my car because I know I have a temper, right? And how many of us have been, uh, you know, driving in your car and somebody does something stupid, and then when they do something stupid, instead of apologizing or something, they flip you off, right? How many times does that happen, right? You know, somebody will do something dumb, and then they flip you off, and now now you're pissed, right? And so I've said to Barb, I'm really glad I don't have a gun. Because if somebody cut me off or did something really stupid and then flipped me off, I guarantee you there is no doubt I would lose my ever-loving mind. I just know me. (laughs) I just know me. So I'm grateful, actually, that I don't own a gun. But that sounds like this is exactly what happened is, you know, these kids were downtown. Something happened. Somebody pissed somebody off. And then they went and got a gun. And there's no, by the way, there's no uh, evidence that this kid was the one that actually pulled the trigger. As a matter of fact, it sounds like that it was somebody that he was with that did the actual shooting, but, you know, we'll, all the details will come out. But, again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Just like the accident that happened with the University of Georgia football team at 2.45 in the morning, you know, the reasons don't matter. It was 2.45 in the morning, nothing good happens. You know, so you're downtown close to midnight down on the strip and you're getting a beef with somebody and somebody's got a gun. It doesn't matter what the beef was over. It doesn't. At the end of the day, it's just something that shouldn't have happened. So, uh, so anyway, that you don't mean to start the show on a, on a downer, but man, uh, that, 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 uh, university of Georgia accident shook people down here. I'm look, I live in North Carolina, as I've said, but I'm, I'm five minutes from the Georgia border and people live, sleep, dream, eat, whatever university of Georgia football down here. And uh, that's just, it's just awful. It's just awful. So I, uh, you know, again, I hope, I hope there wasn't, I hope there wasn't alcohol involved, but the other day it doesn't matter is, is, is two young lives are gone. So, all right, let's get uh, to the NFL games. What a nutso weekend. I mean, look, when you looked at the lines for some of these games, there was nothing that would make you believe that we were going to have a bunch of close games. Right there, I mean, two of the lines were like you know, one was one was like nine, the other was like twelve. Um, and then another one I think was like six and a half, seven. So there was nothing that led you to believe there were going to be close games. Every game yesterday was decided in the final minutes, which was really cool. Um, you know, and then on Saturday, the only one that really went according to script was the 49ers-Seattle game. And um, and in that game, that was closer than a lot of people thought it was going to be for a long time. So uh, it was a good weekend. And, again, we've got one left tonight, but, man, uh, it was fun. You know, it was, it was one of those games where, and I learned my lesson during the regular season. There were a couple of these games that looked like they were going to be blowouts, and I was ready to turn them off. Most notably, uh, that Charger uh, Jacksonville game, when it was twenty-seven and nothing in the first half, I was ready to click it off and go do something else. But after watching the the uh, 
the Vikings puke up a game earlier this year where they were up 30-something points. I said, you know what, let's let's hang with this. And obviously it's good that I did. So, all right, let's, uh, let's start um, with yesterday's games. And let, we might as well start with last night's game, the game that finished it off, uh, to finish the night off. Uh, the Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. This was one of those games I didn't think was going to be close. I really didn't. Lamar Jackson said he wasn't going to be able to play. I still don't know what is going on with Lamar Jackson, whether this is some kind of a a contract ploy or whether he's as hurt as he's leading to believe. There's a lot of his teammates I don't think that are buying that Lamar Jackson can't play. You know, and and if if this is, you know, was about contract, that's that's not a good look for him. I, you know, and who knows? Uh, only he knows. But give Tyler Huntley a lot of credit last night. He did a great job of keeping the Ravens in this game. Um, only threw one pick. He used his legs very well, averaged six yards a carry, ran for 54 yards, threw for 226 and a couple of touchdowns, and uh, kept the Ravens in it. And it was only a turnover with about 11 and a half minutes to play in the game. This was crazy. Baltimore was driving. They got all the way down to the one-yard line. And then Huntley is trying to go over the top and and uh, get the ball into the end zone to give Baltimore the lead. And he has the ball punch it, punched out of his hand as he tries to go over the top and he reaches forward the, with the ball. Somebody punched it out. And then Sam Hubbard, a defensive end, went 98 yards the other way for a touchdown. My only question... <laughs> When it happened, because everybody's all, you know, it's like a scrum at the line of scrimmage. My only question was whether Hubbard was going to be able to run 98 yards without having to stop for oxygen halfway there. I mean, you don't see big defensive ends running 98 yards in a clip ever. And, uh, you know, he had a few of his teammates along with him, and it was, there was, you know, one, one uh, uh, Baltimore player that was trying to run him down and it looked like he might get there, and it looked like one of the uh, one of the uh, Cincinnati players might have touched him a little bit as he was going down. But the referees said play on. You know, it looked like it might have been you know from the back. But when you look at the replay, maybe it was from the side, or or maybe the referees just decided he wasn't going to get him anyway. But ninety eight yards for a touchdown, the longest play uh, for a return play uh, in playoff history. And Cincinnati wins it 24-17 to thanks to a fumble return. Crazy game. And look, Joe Burrow wasn't great last night. Got sacked four times. He was 23-32. The one thing he did do is he took care of the football. He didn't throw any interceptions. Um, you know, and I thought that Cincinnati didn't try to run the ball enough. I mean, with the exception of Joe Burrow running it five times, they only ran it 13 times the rest of the game, right? 32 pass plays. You know, this Cincinnati offense only managed 234 yards and won. You know, so give give Tyler Huntley a lot of credit for keeping his team in it. 
Um, you know, and look, one of the things that, that really hurt Cincinnati last night was their offensive line, who's done such a great job this year, uh, suffered an injury during the game. They were down, you know, they were down a couple of offensive linemen. It was like they were putting it together with band-aids and bailing wire. But a defensive play is the difference in this one, and Cincinnati will move on. And uh, for their for their win, they get a chance to take on the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo for a chance to get to the AFC Championship game. And, of course, this is the game uh, where DeMar Hamlin got hurt, uh, the game that Cincinnati was actually winning at the time, 7-3. You know, so it's a chance for Cincinnati to – it's going to be weird because it's it, – and here's the thing. DeMar Hamlin's out of the hospital. He actually visited his teammates, uh, you know, visited the team this weekend. He was not at the game. But he did visit his teammates to uh, uh, the day prior. I guarantee you, I would bet my house that Demar Hamlin will be at that Cincinnati game next weekend. Bet the house on it. So there's going to be that emotion, obviously, behind it. Not not to mention the fact that it's in Buffalo. Their fans are nuts. Uh, it's going to be a tough environment for Cincinnati. If you're and, and if you're a Cincinnati, you know, party is pissed about this because you know that if it had been, if you had been able to finish that game last week and uh, or two weeks ago, and and if the score had held and they had won it, the next game Buffalo Cincinnati would have been in Cincinnati. But now they're going to have to go on the road, so uh, it will be interesting. But a look, a good win. An improbable win, I guess you'd have to call it, with you know using a 98-yard fumble return uh, for the difference. But man, what a great, great finish to that game! Uh, the the middle game yesterday, um, the Giants upset the number three seeded Minnesota Vikings. Although you know, look, I don't know if you can truly call it an upset, Minnesota had been playing with a horseshoe in their pockets all year. Minnesota has, you know, came back all season, time after time after time, winning games in the final possession, winning games that looked like they had no business winning. Uh, It's just been crazy the way they, you know. So you knew at some point their luck had to run out, and it did. Uh, And Daniel Jones? In his first playoff game, 300 yards passing, two touchdowns, and he ran for 78 yards. You know, and when I had Dan Zampano on on Friday, I was like, you know, in what universe does he think he's getting $46 million at the expiration of his uh, rookie contract? Well, I'll tell you what. uh, And and I I don't know that, I mean, I don't know that they're going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles next weekend. But if they do, you know, Daniel Jones is going to take this all the way to the bank. Uh, Saquon Barkley with a couple of touchdowns as well. And, and you know, look, a solid win for the Giants. It's their first playoff win in 11 years. Um, Minnesota still had a chance. They had the ball at the end. But Kirk Cousins, I, I inexplicably, 
on a fourth down play where they needed like eight or nine yards. He throws like a three or four yard check down pass. The guy gets tackled and the game's over. And Cousins was 31 for 39 in this game. A couple of scores and a, and a rushing touchdown. I mean, you know, by and large, he played well. But that was just dumb. That final pass is just dumb. And I, look, I know that, you know, he was getting pressured. But when you know you need eight or nine yards, you don't throw the ball three yards past the line of scrimmage and pray that somebody's going to, you know, in a one-on-one situation, he's going to be able to break it, a tackle, and get the first down. you got to throw the ball past the first down marker. You have to. So that was just dumb. But you also have to give the Giants a lot of credit for putting pressure on him. Um, You know, at the end of the day, the Giants' defense probably – look, I, and I know that uh, Daniel Jones was, was really good, but you have to give the Giants a lot of credit for, for, for the pressure that they put on Kirk Cousins in that final series and the fact that they shut down the best receiver perhaps in football in Justin Jefferson. He had only one catch after halftime. One. <clears throat> so – uh, that was that you know again the giant defense and Wink Martindale did a great job game planning for this one and the Minnesota Vikings who had a great regular season 13 and four although again you could you know say it's perhaps uh <laughs> perhaps the uh, uh the luckiest 13 and four in NFL history um but still a number six seed, Knocks off the number three, and uh, and it, and it, and it seriously could be that Daniel Jones, with that performance this weekend, made himself some money because he looked very composed. He looked like a guy, uh, you know, that could be a franchise quarterback. And there's that's obviously been a question since he came to New York. Hey, look, he's the first the first quarterback in NFL history. To, to do the following, had 300 yards passing, two passing, two or more passing touchdowns, and 70 rushing yards. First quarterback in NFL history to do that. Crazy. You know, and this is a guy that, that uh, uh, a lot of Giant fans wanted run out of town. So, um, the first game, Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. Look, Miami came in here a double-digit underdog. Their third-string quarterback, right? They had – I thought this game was going to be over at halftime. And it took everything for the Bills to win this game. Look, uh, Josh Allen was not great. But the Buffalo defense came up big when they needed to. Miami had the ball, turned it over on downs in its final possession. Skyler Thompson threw a pass to uh, his tight end, Mike Kaziki with about two minutes to go, a little over two minutes to go, went off his fingertips. It would have kept the drive going, and that was the end of it. But Josh Allen threw a couple of picks. He did throw for 350 yards, 
but he threw two picks, and those two picks resulted in 11 Dolphins points. So uh, he did his best to keep this game close. Um, and, and, and by the way, not only that, he also fumbled the ball, which was returned five yards for a touchdown. So it was not a great game for Josh Allen. Miami sacked him seven times. Franchise record in the playoffs. So Miami has to, Miami, or excuse me, Buffalo has to consider themselves very, very lucky that they got past this one. And, you know, again, and, and they're now going to play a Cincinnati team next week that perhaps can consider themselves very lucky that they got away with that win against Baltimore. You know, a 98-yard fumble return, a rather improbable way to end it. Now, it doesn't mean that Cincinnati wouldn't have won it later on, but who knows. But at the end of the day, these are two teams that were underwhelming this week. Now we'll play each other next week. But Buffalo is going to have two advantages. They're going to have the home field, and they're going to have DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin's not going to be playing, but his presence will be there. And and and, and I... I I guarantee you he's going to be there, as I said. But even if for some reason he's not because they decided it's you know, too much excitement for his heart, um, you know, even if he's not there, he will be there in spirit. Everybody will be thinking about him. Everybody will have on the number three shirts, T-shirts, jerseys, whatever. And this is, you know, this is the, rally, the rallying cry in this one is, you know, you know, remember the old win one for the Gipper from Notre Dame? This is going to be let's win one for DeMar. So... Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals may be running into a buzzsaw up in Buffalo next week. And you're going to have Josh Allen, who, you know, threw two interceptions and fumbled the ball away that resulted in a touchdown. He's going to be looking for redemption, right? So I guarantee you that uh, – well, no, I can't guarantee. But I would, I would say that Buffalo – well, we know Buffalo is going to be favored. And I will be shocked if Cincinnati finds a way to win that game. But Joe Burrow has found a way, you know, look, nobody thought they were going to make the Super Bowl last year. A lot of people thought that Cincinnati was going to take a step back this year. And all they did was keep winning. So, but that's going to be an entertaining game as hell in Buffalo next weekend. 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to A Wake Up Call on a Monday morning, let's uh, let's try <laughs> let's try that again. <laughs> Welcome back to the wake up call, and uh, uh, it's a Monday morning. Hey, just a programming note: we will not have a show uh, Thursday, Friday, and Monday. My wife and I are heading to Florida uh, to visit a family friend. Um, uh, my my wife's. Uh, uh, kind of a second mom going down to visit her. She's in her uh, mid-80s, so we're going down to see her, and I'm going to see uh, my uncle while we're down there. So we're going to be away for uh, four or five days. So no show on Thursday, Friday, Monday, but we'll be back on Tuesday. Um, so I uh, just wanted to uh, keep everybody aware of that. Before we get to the most exciting game uh, of the weekend, uh, and, and, of course, that was the Jacksonville Chargers game, um, we might as well uh, just kind of get through the uh, San Francisco-Seattle game. Um, look, San Francisco wins this game by 18. It, it wasn't – it was a bit of a blowout in the fourth quarter. 
But this was a 17-16 Seattle lead at the half. Nobody saw that coming. This is another one of those games where, you know, it was, I think they were like nine and a half point favorites, something like that. Um, but then San Francisco outscores Seattle 25-6 to six in the second half. And really, it was worse than that. It was 25 nothing until Seattle got a consolation touchdown with a minute 45 to play in the game. It was 40, from 17 to 16, it was 41-17. Uh, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, I guess we can't keep calling him that, but uh, the guy who was the, the last draft pick in his draft class, throws for 332 yards and three scores. No picks, only got sacked once. Christian McCaffrey runs for 119 yards. Catches one of those three touchdown passes. Debo Samuel with a touchdown reception. Elijah Mitchell had a touchdown reception and a great second half. And San Francisco runs away and hides from the Seattle Seahawks in the second half. So this was the only game, with the exception of the fact that Seattle had actually led at halftime, this was really kind of the only game that went according to form this weekend. Um, so then uh, for that, San Francisco will host the winner of the Tampa Bay-Dallas game this weekend. Look, I think regardless of who wins tonight, you know, look, you know, Brady's a great story. Tom Brady, by the way, do you know, he's won a Super Bowl in three different decades. How crazy is that? In the NFL, guy playing that long. But um, whether whether it's Brady winning, you know, the game tonight or Dallas figuring things out and, you know, they going up against San Francisco. And Dallas, look, let's be honest. Dallas has the more explosive offense by far. You know, Tampa's offense has been, despite everything that Brady has done this year, you know, setting an NFL record for receptions and, you know, the occasional uh, huge game by Mike Evans. And, you know, but by and large, that that offense for the Bucks has been underwhelming. And we all know that that San Francisco defense may be the best defense in the NFL. So I don't think it really matters whether they play Tampa Bay or Dallas next week. And here's what's going to be fascinating for San Francisco. I mean, we're, we're weeks and weeks and weeks away from, you know, really having to worry about this. But what's going to be fascinating for San Francisco is after watching how Brock Purdy played this week, right, the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, the injury to Trey Lance. You know, Trey Lance, you know, people forget Trey Lance was supposed to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers this year and got hurt right away. You have to wonder now. Is this Brock Purdy's team? Let's say let's say he takes this team all the way to the Super Bowl, and it's not it, it, that's not impossible. If he takes them, even if he takes them all the way to the NFC Championship game, is this Brock Purdy's team now? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be hard. It'd be hard to take the keys away from the kid, right? The way he's driven that car, it'd be hard to take the keys away now. 
We'll see. That's going to be that's going to be uh, uh, some great drama. Great drama. And the only game that went uh, to form. Now, a lot of people thought that Jacksonville would beat the Chargers this past weekend. Our our Dan Zampano included. Um, but when it was twenty-seven to nothing, with four twenty-five left in the first half, nobody had Jacksonville coming back to win this game. I sure as hell didn't. Perhaps the biggest play of the game came with 24 seconds left in the first half when Trevor Lawrence finally got a touchdown pass and he hit Evan Ingram with 24 seconds left to give the Jaguars a score at the half to make it 27-7. And then the Charger offense just went into a shell. Now, you could make a case that... The reason the Chargers were even in this game or leading the way they were was because Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions. That's fair, right? When you look at what the Chargers did offensively, you know, Herbert was okay. You know, he he was not very sharp, 25 of 43, threw for 273 yards, but the Chargers didn't try to run the ball. 43 pass plays, actually 46 pass attempts, or 43 pass attempts, 46 passing plays. Herbert had to run on three of them to only 20 rushes. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence tried to give this game to the Chargers. And then Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville defense. And, and actually, I don't even know if you can call it the Jacksonville defense. I, I think a lot of this has to fall on the shoulders of the Chargers coaching staff. It has to, right? I mean, uh, you've got Austin Eckler, who is a hell of a running back. you got to give him more than 13 carries for 35 yards, especially when you have a 27 nothing lead. You've got to run the football. You've got to take time off the clock. You have to. And if you're Brandon Staley, you got a lot of questions to answer. Not just for this, but for the previous week when you got your best receiver hurt and he couldn't play this week. You know, and I don't know if it would have been different if Herbert had Mike Williams as a target. But it's hard to say it wouldn't be. Gerald Everett had a hell of a game. Six catches for 109 yards. Keenan Allen did what Keenan Allen generally does, and you know he's more of a you know a possession type receiver these days. Six catches for sixty-one yards, but they didn't have their deep threat in Mike Williams, and who knows if that would have made a difference in this game? We'll never know because Brandon Staley played him in a game that meant absolutely nothing the week before, and then the other thing that really, really killed. The Chargers was a stupid penalty by Joey Bosa when he was pissed off at the referees and he took his helmet off and slammed it down on the field. You know, allowed a a, a drive to continue that he had no business. You know, I mean, and, and look, he 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 owned up to it, but at the end of the day, you can't lose your composure like that. You know, and this is a guy that that missed so much time this year 
with injuries, and then he comes out and he just loses his mind. But the Chargers had just three points on four second-half possessions. They had just 320 yards of offense. Trevor Lawrence, four picks, and you lose. Now, Trevor Lawrence came back and threw four touchdown passes, but still, just crazy. And by the way, he became the third quarterback in the Super Bowl era to throw four interceptions in the first half of a playoff game. Who else did it? Uh, Gary Danielson from the old Detroit Lions and uh, Craig Morton from the Denver Broncos. Difference is, is that he found a way to come back and win this game. That comes down, by the way, that's the third greatest comeback in the history of the NFL playoffs, um, trailing just the 32-point comeback uh, that the Buffalo Bills had against uh, Houston in 1993 and uh, back when they were the Houston Oilers, and in Indianapolis in 2014 when they were down 28 to Kansas City and they came back and won that game. So, uh, crazy finish. And, and by the way, Al Michaels is getting a lot of heat. He called the game with Tony Dungy. And Al Michaels is getting a lot of heat that his call on the final uh, field goal to win the game was underwhelming and, you know, that he was sleepy and, you know, just it's time for him to retire. And here, look, here's the thing. It was essentially a chip shot field goal. It was a 36-yard field goal. It was essentially a chip shot, you know, and a flag was thrown on the play. You know, he called the field goal as good, and then he said, but there's a flag down, and, and he was trying to, you know, you know, because it could have been a difference. But I – I don't know what pe- what did people want him to do? Lose his mind? It wasn't like this was a an eighty yard touchdown pass to win the game. It was a chip shot field goal. Yeah, it was exciting, but yes, there was a flag thrown. If the flag had been against Jacksonville, they're going to have to kick it again from five yards farther back. And there's a a, a web uh, on Twitter. There's an account called Awful Announcing, and and they like to to poke fun at people, and they said, well, you know, with, with the, the crappy call that Al Michaels had, here's what it should have sounded like. And, it's, and what they gave you was the radio call from the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, home announcing team. Well, and they lost their ever-loving minds. Of course they're going to. They're homers. Al Michaels is on a national broadcast and is supposed to call a balanced game and it was a chip shot field goal. He called it good. He said, but there's a flag on the play. And it's he, they absolutely did. There was no mention that when the Jacksonville people are losing their minds, never once did they say anything about a flag. Al Michaels has always been kind of the same announcer, right? He is not a homer. The problem is, is, you know, the same people that are bitching about Al Michaels this weekend in that game are the same people that will bitch if they're a fan of a certain team and on a national broadcast the announcers are saying good things about the team that they don't root for. And they're saying, oh, they're homers for the other team. You know, it's just, yeah. I thought they did just fine. And I I hate, you know, look, Al's 80 years old. Has he lost a little off the fastball? Yeah, I'm 62. I've lost some off of mine. But I'll tell you what. These idiots that are uh, criticizing, how about you try doing it? I've called thousands of games in my life, football, basketball, baseball, thousands. And I have always tried to call them right down the middle. Even when I was getting paid by the university 
whether it was Sacred Heart or Central Connecticut or Western New England, wherever it was I worked, even if I was getting paid by them, I tried to call a balanced game. I didn't want to be a homer. I don't believe announcers should be homers. So I thought the criticism that Al Michaels was getting was unwarranted and unfortunate for a guy with his resume. But that's just me. Uh, and by the way, how did uh, Trevor Lawrence celebrate his uh, victory, comeback victory? This is great. He went to the Waffle House. There's pictures all over on, on social media of Trevor Lawrence going to the Waffle House to celebrate his win. Only in the South. He went to the local Waffle House for a celebratory dinner. Good for, <laughs> oh, good for him. Good for him. It's 48 minutes past the hour. One more break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 50 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Just a few minutes left here this morning. So tonight, uh, the, uh, the wild card weekend concludes a Monday night game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Tom Brady, as we've said, 45 years old. Uh, you know, their offense hasn't been great. Tom Brady has never lost to the Dallas Cowboys. 7-0 and against the Cowboys, including a 19-3 victory in the opening week this season in Dallas. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I like the Bucs tonight. I do. I, I do. I just I, I, I have a hard time um, going against Tom Brady. And here's the other thing. This is an amazing stat. The Dallas Cowboys have not won a postseason game on the road in 30 years. That's a span of eight games. But 30 years. The last time they won a, ho- a road playoff game was in 1992 when they beat the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Now, they went on to win three of the next four Super Bowls, but they were, you know, they they were the home team throughout the playoffs, obviously, until the Super Bowl. So it's that's that's a glaring statistic. And then you have to look at the fact that Dak Prescott has been underwhelming this year, and, you know, he he uh, came off perhaps his worst game of his life, you know, and uh, making his fifth playoff start. But, you know, in the last few games of the season, he threw seven interceptions. He is not playing well at all. So I like the Bucks tonight. Um, so does Dan Zampano. So well, for whatever that means. Uh, Sean McVay has decided he's going to return uh, to the Los Angeles Rams. The youngest coach in the NFL was uh, thinking about, well, actually he was the youngest coach when he got the job six years ago at the age of 31. Uh, He's not the youngest coach anymore, but uh, he contemplated stepping away. Um, But as to say, you know, and it was, look, it was a rough year. They won just five games. It was a tough year. uh, A lot of injuries, but he has decided that he is going to come back. Now he has lost some key assistants. He, he, he wasn't sure whether he was going to come back, but he decided to let all his assistants look for jobs if they wanted to. Well, his offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, uh, is leaving to go to the University of Kentucky um, to be the offensive coordinator there. Uh, and his defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, is being interviewed uh, for the head coaching jobs in Denver and Indianapolis. So, uh, so if he does come back, he's going to need a new offensive coordinator and possibly a defensive coordinator as well. 
uh, and he might need to uh, uh, try to replace his defensive tackle. Aaron Donald, uh, seven-time All-Pro, has hinted at retirement. He hinted at retirement last year and came back, um, but uh, the same rumblings are coming out this year, so we shall see. Um, uh, college basketball yesterday, UConn women win <coughs> and lose. How about that? They uh, they won. They beat number four Georgetown. Close game at the half. UConn opened up the second half with a 20-3 to uh, spurt. They end up uh, beating Georgetown 65-50. to uh, They lose because uh, Ezifud, who just came back after missing six weeks with a knee injury, re-injured that knee her second game back. They're not, they don't think it's serious, but she got hurt with three minutes left in the first half, went to the locker room, came back out with ice on her knee, didn't play in the second half. Going to be looked at by doctors today, and they are praying to everyone that is holy that it is not bad because they'll be down to seven players again. You know, and without her, with you know, and not having Paige Beckers all year, and Fudd's supposed to be your second best player, and to not have your top two players and to still be where they are is is it's a miracle. Fifteen and two, eight no in the Big East. Uh, they play Seton Hall on Tuesday. Um, I don't expect Fudd to play, but we'll see. But you know, in, unless it comes back today, and the doctors say, "Hey, you're fine. Suck it up, Buttercup." Uh, but they are going to be extra cautious with her. They can't afford to lose her for the season. Uh, and Maya Moore, retired, former University of Connecticut, great one, two national titles uh, with the Huskies, played in the WNBA. She actually stepped away from the sport four years ago uh, because she was uh, working to help her now husband, Jonathan Irons, uh, get his release from jail. He had a 50-year sentence overturned in 2020 thanks to her work. Um and they got married after that, and they, they have a child. And she's 33 years old. She hasn't played in four years, and she made it official today uh, that she is going to retire. She won four WNBA championships with the Minnesota Lynx, a couple of uh, Olympic gold medals. I mean, she just, you know, her, her resume is just ridiculous. So uh, she made it official. She retired uh, today. And uh, the UConn men lose their fourth game in the last five. Absolute train wreck of a game yesterday. I watched the whole thing. It was brutal. Uh, they made Joel Soriano look like a, an all-world player. 19 points, 13 rebounds, and St. John's did the, something they hadn't done in 35 years. They beat UConn in Hartford. Uh, they just pulled away in the second half and drilled them, just drilled them. Uh, brutal game, you know, 50 fouls called in the game, 30 of them against you, or 31 against UConn. Just awful, awful. Um, they need to figure this out. You know, look, Jordan Hawkins had a great game for the Huskies at 31. He had 14 of the first 16 points in the game. He had 14 points in the first five minutes. And then went cold as hell for a long time. And then by the time he woke up again, it was over. UConn's got to figure this out. They're shooting like crap, uh, turning the ball over too much. They turned the ball over uh, uh, 21 times yesterday. St. John's with 22 points off those 21 turnovers. Uh, UConn is in a funk. They got plenty of time to figure it out, but it also goes to show you how good the Big East is. So, uh, tough loss for the UConn men yesterday. They will uh, they will fall obviously from that number six position. Uh, they'll probably be out of the top ten, I would think, after after that loss. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Here's a little Hank Jr. and Clint Blank on the way out, called the Hotel Whiskey. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. <laughs>